doing the old I test test. I'm okay, and I think that yours is okay. Too. Yeah, I'm I'm very okay. I'm I'm super. Everybody's hard. everybody's okay. Everybody's, everybody's all okay. right. Welcome to the swamp. Yay. For a number. Well, we don't do numbers anymore, do we? No, 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 no numbers. None this of that is, shit. No more. This is now just a deep, deep swamp. It is uh, pretty an deep. An endless swamp. It is. This one is going to take us back in time too, this one. Um, you've got Russ anyway. Yeah, and Rui. Yeah, just so you know. Yep. It's um, important that you know who we are because we're going to be stars one day. <laughs> <laughs> Our names are going to be on everyone's lips. It's written lips. in the stars. Um, so um, we're going to go back in time for this this week. Um, we, we're going to go back to the 1950s and the 1960s, and we're going to be looking at music. Halcyon mostly. years. Halcyon years, yes. Yep, yep. That's going to be the theme, I guess, for, for this particular podcast. It's kind of a it's a new beginning for us. It's the, the, the dawn of a new beginning in terms of how we approach this this podcast, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In some ways. In, in some ways, though, this is also another one of our, our yeah. famous filler-in sort of episodes <laughs> like the last one was because you just come back from your holidays. I have, but um, but um, I can tell the listeners, look, I, I had a great time up on the 90-mile beach with the family and um, um, but, and what was really good about it that I can highly recommend to people is that um, I was far, far away and Enough from civilization that I couldn't tune into anything digital, so my thumbs actually got a rest and my brain got a rest. <laughs> uh, but of course, I had to fill in all that time with something else. And uh, so, and what, so what do you do? I, I just like your theme about you know not, not having internet access. Did your brain explode or? No, it was um, it was really um, a, a really restful time, Russ. And I think I could. Um, I mean, it sort of kind of goes without saying that we all know this intuitively, but. Um, I think it's only when you spend um, any bit of time away from um, you know, having access to the internet that you realise just how hooked we all are and yeah, how yeah. how dependent we've all become on this. You know yeah. that, um, um, and it actually harkens back for most of us that are old enough to a time before the internet of mostly, I think, what I'd define as the feeling at least of having more time, mm. and we're having more time because there's more space between. What we're looking at, what we're thinking about, what we're doing—it's not just coming at us, as mm. is sometimes mm. my experience of of the digital swamp. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like you did some reading, perhaps. Yeah. That, so um, really more reflective time, but um, yeah, definitely did uh, caught up with a bunch of different TV shows and films that I'd wanted to see. Um, really caught up with the family and myself for a mm. bit, which mm. was important to do, mm. and and mostly I think just um, caught up with myself. Mm. And I've given myself some time and space to just kind of filter through, yeah, you know, where where I was at and um, things I've been doing yeah. and thinking about and want to be thinking about and so forth. So, so some downtime. But, yeah, you had some um, chill chill out time. Yeah, but I I, I think that we can all become, um, we, we all do become, I think, um, a, a little bit sort of un, unconscious at times of just how. Um, how plugged in we all are in 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 the modern day digital swamp, you know. That, um, and yeah. it's good to get out of it. From and it's time good to time. get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't say I yeah. completely got out of it. I, I had a sort of similar respite from reality, I guess, too. Um, in that, that I was looking after my my sister's place for a week and mainly looking after a cat. Yes. Um, and so it got me away from my home. The cat wasn't home. looking after you, no, no. I kind of, yeah. kind of did it. It purred a fair bit yes, and, and yes. meowed and and sat by me while I watched um, yeah. some TV, some Star Trek. Um, but my, uh, my sister left uh, um, her laptop, so um, I wasn't sort of bereft of the internet, unlike R- you. And uh, right. I was able to plug in still. Yeah. But it was a different vibe at a different house, and um, so and, found yourself plugging into maybe 
uh, d- different things that you may not have done had you been home? Um, in, in some ways, ways, in some ways, yeah. I, I, I always felt I just felt dislocated, really. I just being away from home, maybe. That was my insight, you now realizing how dependent I was on on my place on and having everything and around me, my books, and and when I'm away from that, because yeah. I, I certainly brought a lot of my stuff with me. I took some books and yeah. I took yeah. um, my music. I even took a, a um, my iPod dock because, believe it or not, my sister doesn't even have a stereo. Wow. Um. Yeah. So I had to have all of that. I had to have all my shit with me. Um. Yeah. In a smaller form, you might yes. might say. So I'm still pathetic, I guess, but yeah. um. It still felt like a holiday. And, that, and that's interesting. But, um, uh, but, yeah, most young people today, I, I just can't imagine, um, you know, too many places you would walk into that wouldn't be, um, you know, either certainly, you know, wall-to-wall of um, different kinds of di- digital devices um, or, or certainly, um, you know, surrounded by, you know, a raft of books or whatever. That's that's yeah. pretty sparse. That's, that's, well, that's lots of people live that way, way, I think. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. you know, seeing how the other half lives right, in yeah, some ways. There are many ways to live. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, let's move on. Let's, in case we lose our one or two listeners completely, um, yeah. uh, we're getting into the next segment. Um, I'm going to play a song by a band called The Rajas. Oh, yeah. Uh, who are the Rajas? Yes, yeah, so who, who are the Rajas? Okay, well, well, listen in and find out. Right. Um, this is a song, a Beatles um, cover they did called um, It Won't Be Long. It Won't Be Long. All right. It won't be long, yeah. Behind the Rock recently. This is a really obscure book, I, I would I yeah. think. Um, it's by John Hayton and Leon Isaacson. Um, and they're talking about rock, 
rock because they were in various rock bands. They were musicians. Right, so um, sort of like 50s rock. They go right yeah, back then. to the 1950s, these oh, guys. Wow. Um, and I guess their heyday was late 50s, um, early to mid 60s when um, they were playing with various people like Johnny O'Keefe and so yeah, forth. And yeah. anyway, they wrote a book about their experiences. Um, apparently, Leon ha- kept a diary, has kept a diary all his life and it includes lots of detailed notes right back then even. So they're able to recall these amazing facts that they otherwise would probably have forgotten. He calls it the crazy book um, and constantly refers to it. Um, so all the details, all the gigs that they went to, they played yeah. at, even how much they got paid, it's all there. Yeah. You know, yeah. so one of the benefits of keeping a diary. Um, these two guys were in a band. They were in various bands, but I guess the main one that I would talk about is the Rajas, um, R-A-J-A-H-S. Um, this is a little band that feature in um, – and also that lovely book by David Johnson, which you talked about, The Music Goes Around My Head. He gives a brief um, description about them. So let's just quickly see what he has to say about it. But keeping in mind, of course, that the R- the Rajas were originally called the RJs, um, as in the red jeans, because apparently in the early days they, they liked wearing red jeans at their right. gigs. But they realised soon enough the red jeans would go out of style, so they, they changed eventually to the Rajas. So... Quoting Mr. Johnson here, the, the RJs went the opposite way from the Aztecs. They separated from their singer Dick Richards, who went on to record a number of his own compositions, renamed the Rajas. They had no insect references, just silly turbans in lieu of beetles wigs to cover their short hair, and absolutely no embarrassment at being billed as Australia's Beatles. Oh, wow. <laughs> big shoes to fill, boys. That is, yeah. yeah. Sydney's uh, Sunday Mirror newspaper even distributed this special record called Beatlemania um, comprising two Beatles songs as well as others by Jerry and the Pacemakers, Freddie and the Dreamers and some US rock and roll artists. The Rajas then went on to record more in the same vein. Their last ever single, Let Me Tell You About a Guy, with a flip O, both songs written by members of the band, was arguably their best. Blending their Beatlesque sound with a harder-edged R&B feel, it somehow also evoked a certain Australianist that summed up the Rajah's long and varied career. Um, now, we're going to have a listen to O. I actually yeah, happen, happen, yeah, the actually, big O. Yeah, I actually yeah. happened to have a copy of that because it's they're not easy to get, the, the Rajah's, believe it or not. Right. They're not a household name, who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. going by this book, they should be because um, they had a pretty legendary career in the 60s. But Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just looking at some photos of um, them uh, yeah, in 1964 being um, you know, some publicity <laughs> shots dressed up as the Fab Four. I and, know. Um, you know, um, they, what an image they do strike. Yeah. Well, well, going on that whole theme of um, Beatlemania and how they they were calling themselves the the Australian the Australian Beatles. Beatles, they knew it was a bit of a yeah, really they, become a bit of a millstone. Of it did, and, and here's here's a quote um, where they talk about that. The Rajas returned from New Zealand and went straight back into the waiting arms of Nick Devery and the Canopus Room. We'd hardly had time to unpack and Johnny O'Keefe was on the phone for another spot on Sing, Sing, Sing. I think he'd missed us. This meant another session at festival to pre-record some songs for the show, another Beatles song for the Rajas to sing It Won't Be Long, followed by the Dave Clark Five hit Can't You See That She's Mine? We also put down some backing tracks on Long Tall Sally and Carol for Paul Wayne and Ian Turpy, respectively. Terps flew up from Melbourne to do the show. The Bee Gees were also on, singing the Hollies number, Just One Look. 
we all got together at the end of the show to sing some crazy Hawaiian number and we all danced around wearing a lot of silly looking sarongs. I hope you guys are in actors equity, grumbled one of the more militant professional dancers. Sure, said John. Leon's father is the head of the Boilermakers Union. This meaningless (laughs) statement seemed to satisfy him and we continued to dance on like constipated ducks. Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees was still peeved at us being referred to as Australia's Beatles. We should be Australia's Beatles, he protested. After all, we were singing yeah, 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 even before the Beatles. Barry should have been thankful that they didn't get the Aussie Beatles title. They certainly ended up doing a lot better than the Rajas. It seemed like we were stuck with it, whether we liked it or not. Yeah. And that's all because they did that EP, the Beatlemania EP, and they didn't really expect it to explode no, like it did. It did. Yeah, um, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, they, they get this Because run. they were in on the the, the wave. Um, it was just some publisher's smart idea. Yeah, and, like, um, hey, let's do it as a, as a Beatles thing. Well, the way yeah. That, you know, we've got to force them here. They're young. They're happening. They're, yeah. You know, um, well, that that version of it won't be. I think it won't be long. It won't be long. Yeah. Yeah, that version, which which we played just at the start of the segment, uh, yeah. which is the only other Raja song I had, it was pretty good. Good um, version, I thought. You know, right. they, they took them off pretty well, and they sound pretty professional, which you'd expect for a band who'd been playing together for at least five or six years by this point, and just constantly yeah, kicking. Yep. And, and that reminds me, it's one of the interesting things about the Rajas' um, career. I mean, just just the way they were in tune with um, what was going on internationally with the Beatles, even before the Beatles became known. Um, They'd sort of put aside this sort of old fifties thing. They were they were starting to change the the way they they wore their clothes and and they were starting yeah. to think about writing their own songs and um and they'd gotten rid of that lead singer Dig Richards and become like this four piece band. And this was before the Beatles that started to hit. Right. So they were kind of in in a way ahead of their time in that way. Though they, they were and when the Beatles did hit, they really recognised that, that um, moment what was that going on. on. We're, yeah. we're like you guys, yeah. you know, we recognised you in, in us. Yeah. Um. And so there was that sense of Connection. Yeah, which I kind of makes interesting. maybe Barry Gibbs, um, you know, comment to, to, to them that uh, yep. about being a bit miffed that, um, yep. that they, they were carrying this title. But, you know, looking back in irony that, um, yeah, this double-edged sword, that they obviously saw that opportunity, ran with it, were able to yep. run with it, were really well-primed yep. to do that. Yep. Um, but, but it very quickly became a straitjacket. Yeah, um, but it really, it's a really eye-opening account too in terms of the backstage shenanigans that the guys would go on. It's, you know, when you think of the 1950s or the 1960s, you don't think of – yeah. You know, you don't think of it as being particularly, you know, gratuitous or lewd, yeah, but yeah. Um, boy, oh boy, do they do they There's get up to some shenanigans? Let's on, just yeah. have another read of uh, something, some things that they got up to from Leon's um, crazy book here. The sort of thing that they would get up to after a show. Take it away, Rui. Show over. We headed off to our hotel, the London, for well-earned drinks, relaxation, food, and hopefully sex. Some of the girls had found out, or maybe we told them, what hotel we were staying at, and they followed us back. Hotel policy definitely did not condone girls in the rooms, and in those days they enforced this rule pretty heavily. Undaunted, we led some of the girls up the fire escape and in through a window to our rooms. You can't do this, said our Melbourne tour manager, Chris DeProse. You'll get us thrown out. Panic, panic, shut up, I said. There's one for you too. Well, get them into a room quickly before someone comes down the hall. More panic, panic. It's interesting to note at this point that method was adopted for culling out the less broad-minded of the female fans. This was accomplished by a series of party tricks, each one guaranteed to get rid of a certain percentage of guests. 
These were as follows. Dance of the flaming assholes, which consists of sticking the local newspaper up your ass and lighting it, <laughs> then dancing around the room. In some towns, the local rag is a little small, which results in a burnt body. <laughs> Deterrent value, 50% at least. Eric Baum. For all of you who do not remember him, Eric Baum was a rather bad-tempered current affairs expert of the time on TV and radio, who later was the beast on Beauty and the Beast. He had thick horn-rimmed glasses and a very thick moustache. To perform this trick, all one has to do is place a pair of horn-rimmed glasses on top of one's genitals. Preferably, one should have dark hair and be past the age of puberty. Deterrent value, 25%. Wow! This one is performed by borrowing a lipstick from one of the remaining guests, going to the bathroom and painting a, a large W on each cheek of your ass. When you return to the room, you may not be too good looking, but when you bend over, wow, deterrent value 25%. The inventor of the first two tricks had both of these attributes plus the horn rim specs as well. He is none other than the famous or infamous John Bogie of the Joy Boys, who later made an instrumental record of The Dance of the Flames. If ever there was a lull in proceedings, Peter Baker would exclaim in a loud Shakespearean voice, Oh, for the joys of sexual intercourse. This was usually followed by a couple of nervous girls scurrying for the door while the more stout-hearted ones remained. Sometimes the party tricks would go, go wrong and all the fans would be horrified and leave. But that's showbiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah well. <laughs> Sign of the times. So, yeah, still on, on this lovely uh, theme of salacious details, uh, there's another fabulous story that uh, they tell about uh, good old J.O.K., Johnny O'Keefe, who was not above a bit of uh, rudeness and lewdness backstage, um, believe it or not. In fact, uh, J.O.K. gets quite a, a lot of mentions um, talking about, about his drug habit and, and sort of the tragedy of his decline, basically. Basically. Uh, but here's a, an, uh, an episode that happens um, around about 1965. Um, at this point, John Hayden had been um, associating with some prostitutes, one of which was an old girlfriend who'd become a prostitute, and he was living with them and um, regularly having orgies. <laughs> um, and at this, this point, uh, JOK um, gets wind of it, and uh, here's what happens. Johnny O'Keefe said to us after the show, what are all these orgies you guys have been talking about? Oh, John's living with a hooker at Edgecliff and she's got three girlfriends, said Leon. Yeah, sometimes we all go over there and swap around all night. Noz added, listen, John, I said, why don't you come over tonight? I'll give you the address. We'll be there anyway. Okay, I just might take you up on that one. I'll have to finish up some business here first. Will around midnight be too late? Mate, we go all night. Don't worry, I said. <laughs> when we got back to Irene's flat, I told the girls the Wawa might come round. Much panic, much doing of hair, all the misses trying to start the orgy straight away. I think they were trying to save themselves for the fabulous Johnny O'Keefe. Have you got any KY jelly, Chris? No, Robin, I haven't. I've got a spare tube, yelled Irene from our room, just like a bunch of randy old hens. Johnny O'Keefe arrived, still with TV makeup on and dinner suit, bearing two bottles of vintage champagne. When he partied, he partied. He was surprised to find that everybody else was already in the nude. Let's put some records on and have a good time, eh, girls? Said the wild one, nervously. Fuck the records, said Helen. She had his zipper down and her mouth on him before he could speak again. After that, he didn't speak much anymore. Actions speak louder than words. The orgy careered on through the night as usual. Mike and Nosmo had left earlier with cancelled leaf passes and dead monkers, so it was left for Leon. Johnny O'Keefe and I to keep the girls satisfied. 
Chris definitely had a thing about Nosmo. One of my last memories of this night was Chris lying on the lounge room floor, getting off with the candle, uh, with us yelling out, Nosmo, Nosmo, to help her get off. The last memory was after Irene and I had retired to the half-demolished master bedroom at dawn. We looked out the window and noticed the Mark 10, 10 Jag still sitting in the car park. Over the soft whirring of Christine's vibrator and a few muffled cries of Nosmo, Nosmo, another voice was heard coming from the lounge room foam. The voice said, I'll be home soon, darling. There was a late night board of directors meeting at Channel 7. A party at Irene's was thereafter referred to as a board of directors meeting. Because, <laughs> of course, at this point, Johnny O'Keefe was married. He had a couple right, of kids. So he had, to, so yeah, he had to ring yeah, home yeah. to the wife and, you know, explain. <laughs> yeah, so kind of like almost so, like, um, you, you, you know, for quite a while there, um, you, you know, uh, John Lennon kind of been a little bit out of step with the other Beatles once he's married mm. Cynthia and then yeah. still trying to keep yeah. all that parked. And, yes. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, so it was yeah. happening there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so that was more the wilder side of them. But um, the books are filled with some really interesting sort of quiet, moments that I was really impressed with. Um, early on in the RJ's career, the career before they became the Rajas, they had a tour of Queensland and um, there's a nice passage here where uh, I think John talks about just a quiet moment on, on the rock and roll trail. Um, so let's have a listen to what he has to say here. It's really interesting. The next day, leaving Vic, Penny and the Hudson in town, the rest of us drove out to a property owned by Sandy's uncle Mac. It was a large station called Auburn. Seeing as it was Sunday, we made sure we were in time for lunch. Come up to the homestead and have some lunch, invited Uncle Mac, who was a pleasant, sunburned, windswept, 50-ish, typical station owner. We had the best steaks we'd had in years in this lovely old homestead, with pressure lamps lighting the dining room, situated in the middle of the house, to keep it cool. After lunch, Uncle Mac took us outside onto the veranda. We had a couple of cold ones, and then Uncle Mac yelled out to an Aboriginal jackaroo, Hey, Norm! Norm was holding up a hitching rail over by the stables. Norm, saddle up some horses for these boys, will ya? Righto, boss. We rode out following Norm into some of the most beautiful country I'd ever seen in my life. I don't know whether it was the influence of Norm or not, but hardly anyone spoke. We just followed him and seemed to blend in with the land. I saw a big goanna in a tree and as we approached it hissed and ran further up. We rode on. It was Norm who broke the silence. Hey you boys, hop off your horses and follow me. I've got something to show you, there. We hopped off our horses and followed Norm. Suddenly we came across a cave in the hillside. Here, boys, look at this, said Norm, almost whispering. These are some of the stories that my people write down in pictures long time ago. I couldn't believe it. We were looking at some Aboriginal rock paintings that probably not many white people had ever seen before. Norm told us the stories in the paintings, but nothing sank in. We were dumbfounded. As we rode silently back to the homestead, I thought about, don't give up your day job. They must have been kidding. In no other occupation that I know of can one see such incredible sights, experience such a wide range of incredible things, meet so many incredible people, have a good time and get paid for it. Back at the ranch, we played the old white man's game of shooting beer cans off the fence and drank some more beer. After dinner, we settled down to a long game of pontoon, blackjack as it's known, with the light from the pressure lamps luring the many strange insects that would otherwise be feasting on us. Uncle Mac and his lovely wife suggested that we stay the night rather than drive the 40 miles back to town. This suggestion was very well received by all of us and we were pretty tired. We went to bed between crisp clean sheets and the cool Queensland night air blowing in through the open windows. I dreamed strange dreams of other people a long time ago. It was a day I've never forgotten. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice to get that sort of reflective moment. Um and yeah. just time off the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and a little later on, uh, when the Rajas go to go to Vietnam, and um, the first time, first first Australian band to do that, playing in Vietnam. Um, and so this is like sixty five. It's sixty five, sixty six. Yeah. Um, I mean, when they first asked to go there, one of the band members actually said, "Where's Vietnam?" Yeah. Um, shows yeah. you how how little they knew about it, and yeah, this is before I think conscription as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, because they certainly don't talk about it because they didn't go there as conscriptees they just went there voluntarily because it was a gig no series just of to gigs get the work um, and, and the yeah. book finishes basically with their adventures in vietnam um and there's a really interesting moment there um because i was reading it hoping that you know there'd be some sort of political context you know coming into it so a sense that they were aware of what was going on or that they, they'd learned something and i kind of got it with this next passage yeah, and I should say um, this section um, introduces a character called Mr. Bang, who they, they met, the guys met when they were in Vietnam, a young Vietnamese fellow who was a bit of an entrepreneur right. and was showing them around. A Vietnamese national. Yeah, 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 yeah. A southern Vietnamese. Yep, 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 yep. Um, and so it starts from there. As promised, Mr. Bang arrived at the villa the next day, Tuesday, December the 7th. He was driving a huge pillar box red Oldsmobile, I guess about a 1963-1964 the model with the slanted headlights. Very appropriate, Mr. Bang, looked very prosperous, which could be either good or bad for us. Tea on the porch was in order, so TT and T-Bar obliged with much giggling and bowing. I have some work, not much, but you busy anyway. Some you find interesting, said the smiling Bang. When business was taken care of, Bang said, come, I take you for a drive now, see some scenery. We piled joyfully into the red slanted olds and drove out along the Bien Hoa Highway. What a fine machine this was. Went like a fucking rocket ship. Big armchair seats, air conditioned, much more your officer's transport. We stop and have drink now, said our genial little host. We stopped at a small kiosk in a village. I was beginning to like this little fellow. He seemed very sincere, almost trustworthy. None of your have a nice day bullshit. Dinner was at a restaurant aptly named The Two Crabs. Crabs were roaming around entangling themselves in this huge tank. After many courses of crab, this and that, surely there's nothing left but crab ice cream, the waiter appeared with gigantic whole crabs, one for each of us. Ah, here's the main course, said Bang excitedly. We naturally had peeked out on the other courses, not knowing of this surprise. We forced ourselves anyway. We left the Hui Kwa absolutely stuffed with crab. A bad dose of the crabs, one might say. Nay, good reader, that was yet to come. Okay, now we have a scientific message, said Bang. Scientific what? exclaimed the muckle. Massage, make your feel good, said Bang proudly. First, steam bath, then massage. He said as we walked into this place, it looked like a cross between a hospital and a garbage dump. Bang jib jabbered a little to the proprietor, presumably haggling, and then we went into the steam room. Take off clothes and give to me, said a girl. We obliged. Jockets were left on. The steam bath was enjoyed by everyone but me. I can't stand humidity. Now come in room and lie on table, a girl said to me. What could I say? I must admit. I was thinking of all the stories I'd heard about servicemen being bumped off in these situations. But I wasn't a serviceman, was I? I lay on the table and came off came the jockets. The girl was giving me one of the best head jobs I'd ever had. Halfway through, these little boys who couldn't have been more than 10 or 11 came in and said, Boy, much better. Only charge 200p. Girl charge 500p. Didi Mao. 
piss off, I said. And I heard the same from Muckle in the cubicle next door, then from an irate drummer somewhere off in the distance. In Asia, it means nothing to sell children into prostitution, but to us it was a bit off. After she had finished, that was the end of the scientific massage. Not very, very scientific, but most enjoyable. Our clothes were brought in to signal the end of this event, and I went straight for my wallet. Everything was there, even the money. Amazing. How distrusting of me. We offered to pay for these services, but our little mate Bang insisted on picking up the tab. It was his night out. He was a thorough gentleman. Bang came in for coffee when he dropped us at seven dang dung. We got into a rather in-depth rave about the war. I wanted to know what a Vietnamese thought about it. Bang said simply, John, my country is crying. This hit me like a ton of bricks. Of course he was right. It had been crying for 500 years under the Chinese, Japanese, the dreaded frogs, and now us. This was the first niggling doubt in my mind about our presence here. Why, even the magnificent post office in all its Gallic glory with a ceiling to rival the Sistine Chapel reposing in John F. Kennedy Square in Southeast Asia was a contradiction in itself. As our friend Mr. Bang left, I thought, I can't worry about these things now. We're over here helping our boys and our friends, the Yanks, fight to save this country from the Red Menace. I'll think about it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. it's it's good the way it just, that he actually does think about that, you know, yeah. and he and he mentions it. I kind of wanted that, you know. I would have really been annoyed if they hadn't have given us some sense that they were aware oh, of that that yeah, social like, political. Yeah, because that was often what what was mentioned. It was like a like good time, you know, all yeah. all the funny Vietnamese. Yeah, just... And so much more that I could talk about about this book. Um, but it was just uh, it came out in 1991. Um, so it's pretty old. Um, and mm. I don't know. I know there was there was a, a reprint at some point, but it's not a very well known book. But I, for me, it, it's like makes a really nice companion to um, the music goes around my head because yeah. it covers that period that's yep. sort of not in there of 19, late, late 1950s to mid 1960s yeah I almost um, wonder and, uh, um, in in, um, in having covered those two books for us I guess like how, how many yeah. are, are out there from you know other long yeah long forgotten you know 50s 60s yeah. Australian uh, music icons mm. that have you know, you know written you know, biographies and memoirs and so forth yeah. that have you know, probably long been buried but yeah yeah, yeah. But at least that's uh -huh. one that that's not that that's yeah. still out there. Uh, Story yeah. of the Rajas by John Hayden and Leon yeah. Isaacson, long forgotten perhaps, but still fondly remembered. And I really tip my hat to them. I think they yeah. did an amazing job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. for to the to the Australian Beatles, well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's all right now. You're gonna be mine. You're gonna stay mine Hold me tight Mine Every day and night Oh Oh I'm so glad you finally left him Oh Oh I should have known it was only a whim Now you're gonna stay You know, you know, I love you so, love you so, love you so, whoa, 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 
That, that was awesome, Russ. I didn't know anything whatsoever about the Rajas, and that's um, um, yeah, that's well, been a fascinating journey. Well, interestingly, yeah. um, uh, Leon Isaacson, who was featured, the drummer, yeah, um, yeah. He, he later on um, formed a band called the Mighty Guys, and I've just been watching Rage, um, oh, and they've been doing their January um, retro month uh, where they're yeah, featuring yeah. a lot of um, countdown, countdown of right. what should be on, but... Um, the Mighty Guys with good old Leon drumming in the background right. there in one of those segments. Yeah, so... so um, 20 um, years later. Yeah, I mean, clearly didn't have great success. Um, so, no, I don't think they had great success with the Mighty Guys, which yeah, is probably why you never heard of them. No, but it, I at least yeah. know that the drummer in the Mighty Guys was originally from the Rajas. Rajas. It's something else that he did, did later on. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting to see him there after... You know, reading about him, reading his exploits in, in the book and, yeah, and in, in the crazy read, yeah. book, yeah. Um, and seeing him there, he looks pretty young. He, he, this was about 1980, I think, for, for Countdown, and he looks, you know, he would have been about 40 at that point. And um, well, relative to what what we now have um, know about um, all the exploits he got up to with the Rajas, he's yeah. done well to to to. to to get to forty in pretty good shape. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. He seems yeah. like to be. He seemed to be thriving at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if he's still alive, but uh. yeah. So, and do, with the other band members from the Rajas, have you seen them then in other bands or no? Is, no? Yeah. I, I know that the guitarist. Um, it's in the book. Um, there's a photo of him. Um, he what was his called? Well, John the Farmer is what he became the in farmer, the early 1970s. Yeah. He, he, he did chicken a farmer, He yeah. tried no. He tried to be a, a country music star. He oh, mentions wow. it in the epilogue of the book. Actually, um, he his manager had this great idea: you'll be John the Farmer, and you can do some country music. And um, died a sad death. I, well, he yeah. says that in the book. He yeah. was he was not never a star. He was not a star. He was always like the side guy, the yeah. side man. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah. But that's about as far as I know with those guys where they went after that. I'm pretty sure they did some reunion um, gigs, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. That's right, and that was the show. So this has been Ross, and this has been Roy. Over and out. Au revoir.